You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco for episode 314. Before we continue, let me introduce our good friend and colleague and co-host, Peter Auchel. Peter, you started to tell us before we opened up about the weather, and it didn't sound like it was so great in Missouri right now. No, it's something like 99 degrees and uh, very hot, very humid, very windy, and we're still six or seven inches behind where we should be when it comes to rain. So uh, the farmers aren't very happy. I'm not very happy. I just hope we get some rain soon because we sure need it. Absolutely. Okay, so let me introduce some people who we should thank for all that they do for In Perspective. Raymond Gay, our producer. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place chat line because they post our shows up there. The media outlets for airing us when they do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, of course, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. Thank you for archiving our programs. On my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Go there, click on In Perspective Podcasts, and you will see our archives from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. And this is Friday, June 30th, 2023. Before we introduce our guest, I would like to give out a plug for Peter, our co-host. He's going to be interviewed on Tuesday, the 4th of July. By then, you should all be receiving copies of our program turn in to am 10 30 on tuesday night the 4th of july at 11 o'clock as peter will be talking to morgan white about his book riding elephants creating common ground where contention rules good luck with that peter by the way thank you very much all right we have with us congressman john laboutlier back on in perspective then First of all, I want to welcome you back and thank you for taking the time once again to join us. We appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure, not yours. It's mine to be on. I look forward to June 30th since the last show. And I love talking to all of you. And obviously, uh, Peter, I love and Raymond. And it's a great team and it's a great hour of my Friday every time. It's sort of a great way to begin a holiday long weekend. Everybody- there are two. Everybody loves, everybody loves Raymond, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there are two topics I want to start out with and then I'm going to hand the festivities over to Peter because I'm curious about your reaction to what happened with that submarine last week. Uh, what do you well, think behind all that? Uh, for those of you who don't know, some people got in a sub because they wanted to find remains of the Titanic and then somewhere along the line, the sub exploded. I'm not sure if the rescue efforts were effective. It's very complicated. Uh, what What are your thoughts, Congressman? Well, I, I, I've been angry since the whole thing happened at those five people for doing it. I think to to waste their lives and enormous amounts of money to go down there for what? Now, you say they're down there. They're not down there looking at remains. The remains of the people who died on the Titanic, you know, dissolved a hundred years ago. Well, I thought they were looking for the Titanic itself. Well, they were. They were. But you can go online and look at fantastic footage of the Titanic on the bottom of the Atlantic taken by Woods Hole 
by remote submersibles that went down there with high def cameras, went inside the staterooms. I mean, it's fantastic stuff. You don't need to go down there two miles underwater and risk your life and other lives. And then here's what makes me angry is that because of this thrill seeking, these riches did. Uh, Coast Guards and navies of the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and France dispatched ships and men and women to try to rescue them. How much did that cost when you add it all up? And who's paying for it? All on the off chance that these five people might have survived. I mean, obviously, we wish they did survive. But, you know, there's some responsibility in life that you shouldn't risk things that could affect other people. And this is dangerous stuff. And for amateurs to be going down there like this, just the whole thing to me is awful. And it's dangerous. It's wasteful. It's selfish. It's billionaires. There were two billionaires on there, a guy from Pakistan, a guy from England, who do this all the time in space and other exhibitions, expeditions, I mean. And I just think it's gotten out of hand. Congressman, uh, I'm also so struck by a similar boating uh, catastrophe that happened around the same time uh, off the coast, I believe, of Greece, uh, of a a, a bunch of – Immigrants from Africa trying to get over to, you know, to, to Greece to, you know, uh, to start to survive, to survive basically. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the comparison between what the governments did or didn't do and how the media portrayed this, I find sort of disgusting as well. Me too. So, uh, you know, I'm curious about what your take on that is. It's exact same. And I didn't bring it up. I forgot, but it was a week ago or more. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that was the disparity of. These poor refugees floundering in the water, not being rescued. And a dozen U.S. Navy, Coast Guard, Canadian Navy, all that, steaming out there to get this thing. Now, by the way, Bob, you also asked about the thing exploding or whatever. As I understand it, um, this particular little sub was made of a experimental composite material, not of titanium, which... Most of these submersibles to withstand huge pressure that 12,500 feet of water will cause. They tried this new thing, this composite, and that that particular Titan little mini sub had gone down twice before, once each year for the last two years. And off they go, you know, two weeks ago and down they go. And the thought now is it got down there and unbeknownst to everybody, because it was an experimental new composite, they didn't know that it couldn't withstand repeated pressure. It had sustained micro-fractures throughout the hull from the previous two dives. And this third dive, when that pressure was applied again, boom, the thing imploded. Thank goodness if that's what happened, the five people didn't know what hit them. You know, they died instantly rather than that horrible image we all have of them down there for five days running out of oxygen waiting to be rescued in the dark i mean that's what, what we heard some thought yeah well that's because no one knew but now it turns out u.s navy has this sosis underwater detection system that we put in 60 years ago to track soviet submarines coming into the north atlantic 
It's a permanent underwater sonar system that listens for submarines coming out of northern, the north, into the North Atlantic from whatever the bay is where the Russian base is and pulling arms. And it comes down and there's like this, um, series of sonar buoys underwater that can hear things. And early on, Sunday or Monday, when this Titan mini-sub went down to the Titanic, the SOSA system picked up an explosion. And they didn't know for sure what it was. They now believe it was this Titan mini-sub getting down near the Titanic and then imploding. And so those guys didn't live the five days, didn't run out of oxygen. They didn't suffer, hopefully. I also wanted to bring up another major news story that broke this week. The Supreme Court made a decision to get rid of affirmative action in the admissions process on college campuses and university campuses. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I've I've been following for years this whole issue because I was a victim of affirmative action, I believe. And I've gotten over it, but I'll tell, I'll tell it to you. I was magna cum laude at Harvard College. I had a 680 law board test, which is pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. I applied to Harvard Law. I got on the waiting list, but was ultimately turned down. Now, downstairs in my dorm, uh, Kirkland House, my senior year, was an African-American male student. I'm not going to name his name. He's a nice guy. This is no knock on him. None. But he did not graduate magna cum laude. I don't think he got close to a 680 on the law board. He got into Harvard Law. I did not. And at the time, you know, I thought this is not right. This is reverse discrimination. I'm being discriminated against for being white or he's being favored for being black. Now, as the years have gone by, it's 50 years, almost 46 years or whatever, I don't really care anymore. I didn't really want to be a lawyer anyway, but uh, uh, and I'm glad I'm not. But at the time, I did care. I put my heart and soul into getting in. I'm sure he, maybe he did, too. I don't know. But I used to think, you know, if, if, if this comes up and I'm more qualified than him, but you want him in there to get some racial diversity in, then you know what you do? Let us both in. Don't punish me because of my skin. That's not right. Just like it wasn't fair to punish him or his father or whatever uh, 20, 30 years earlier. But so don't now, they go by, don't they that, go by capacity, though? What, what if there was only well, room for one person? Well, I, I guess there is only room. Harvard is swimming in money, Bob. They have so much money, they could build five new dorms and new classrooms overnight. <laughs> I And I know they're not going to put both people in, but it's just, it's sort of not right. And anyway, the Supreme Court has now said as of 2028, uh, there can no longer be on your application questions about race or ethnicity. Why wait five but years? I, say again? Why wait the five years? Because it's a, you need a lag time for all these colleges to adjust to how they're going to do admissions. It's a big deal. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of applicants to these schools. And 
the admissions office. What's the adjustment? I I don't know. Look, you you don't, I'm not, I'm just telling you what the uh, ruling was. I don't, I'm not defending the ruling. They said beginning the year, the academic year beginning 2028, that's when this new system has to take place where you cannot have race on the application. The, and I'm wondering who would monitor that once it's in place. How oh, do you don't, don't worry about it. No, come on. It'll be monitored by every kid that gets an application. <laughs> if I get an application to fill out and it's asking me questions about race, boom. You don't think I'm getting a lawyer and protesting it right away? Sure. Now, t- I want to tell you guys a funny story. I haven't even thought about this for a while. When I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, my senior year at Harvard College, I applied not just to Harvard Law, but to Yale Law School, too. I only wanted to go to the two best law schools. So I applied to both of them. And when I get the application for Yale, I sit out of my desk up in my room at Kirkland House. I remember filling the thing out. And it got to this question, origin of birth. And it's boxes. And you check a box. And I see a box says native born American. Now this would be the fall of 1975. That's my senior year in college. Native born American. I check the box. I figure Uh-oh. that's me. I'm born in America. But okay. I don't even think twice about it. I check it. Bye-bye. Finish the thing, mail it in. About six weeks later, I walk in for lunch one day in my dorm, the Kirkland House dining room, where I everybody knows everybody. And there's a table filled with American Indians sitting there who we don't normally, they're not members of Kirkland House. They must live somewhere else at Harvard, and you know, but they can come over and have lunch if they want. So they're having lunch. And, you know, we all saw them and said hello and all. I sit down with my friends at the other end of this big dining room, and about halfway through the meal, a woman from that table of American Indians comes over to me and says, are you John Laboulier? I said, yes, I am. And she said, okay, thanks. And that was it. She leaves the table, goes back, and sits down. So I right away I started thinking, and I figured it out. She was sent by Yale to eyeball me and make sure with my French name, I could have been French-Canadian Indian. Could have been. Sure. Well, but they had to look at me and have her assess that I'm a white man. Therefore, in the vernacular, I guess I'm not a native-born American. And I got a letter about a month later rejecting me from Yale Law School. And I, I still think it's pretty funny when you look back on it. That is that is bizarre. So one of the things I found sort of bizarre about the Supreme Court ruling is that all universities and colleges are, are required to to make these changes that we've talked about, except for the military schools, except for the Army, the Navy, the Air Force Academy. Do you have any idea what that's about? Well, I don't know, and I didn't even know that. But, I, you know, I was a congressman, as you know, and right. we are the ones who pick people to go to the military academy, or we recommend them, and that's who gets in. I don't know if that fits into it, but... um I just find that so bizarre. I mean, whatever you think yeah. of affirmative action, you know, the, the, there's apparently, a, 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 from what I heard, a, a footnote in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, but the verdict is the wrong term. It, you know, the, the, in the, 
the you know, ruling. The, the ruling yeah. saying, you know, okay, you, know, you guys, you civilian schools can no longer factor in race to all this. But the military, military schools, uh, the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, Coast Guard can and merchant, merchant, merchant marine, marine. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I just find that just bizarre. Uh, I well, we got, we got to find out why that yeah, is. I mean, exactly. it might have something to do. You know, I mean, it's all different. The military is different from regular society and it does have different rules of everything. So I don't know, you know. So I, I would imagine, uh, that the, the schools will find a way to sort of work around this rule. I mean, part, part of the issue, whenever this issue comes up about who should get in, who shouldn't get in, there, there is a useful myth that, that of a meritocracy, that the best person gets, you know, every job. In other words, the most qualified person gets every job that's out there, you know, or every, every space in a university or every, you know, opportunity that's out there. And the problem, of course, is how do you judge who the most qualified person is? It's not necessarily the person with, with, with the top SAT scores, right? Nope. It's no, not, they're it's getting just, rid of them, by the way. They are. Those are they, being gotten rid of. Yeah, I, I know, because, because the correlation between uh, top SAT scores and success in college has always been suspect. You know, when I went to school back in the around the same time you did, um, uh, you know, it, it's weird. So, uh, you know, and it's not always the folks with the top grades. Uh, Peter, the around. other involvements might include uh, involvement with the community. That's where right. you, are you a good Samaritan? Yeah. Those would be the other aspects of the qualification scheme of things. And, and how, well, no, it's all, it's all this stuff. It's, it's, all, the, it's at, all the above. Athletes, yeah. Bob, you're right, good citizen, student leader, play an instrument, uh, you know, have a unique talent. All this stuff comes in. On the grade thing, you get rid of standardized tests. What's going to happen is, I promise all of us, your grades in high school will therefore be more important and there will be pressure on high schools and secondary schools to give higher grades to their kids so they can get into these colleges. And that means grade inflation, cheaper. The grades don't mean as much because it's easier because they want their kids to go to Yale and Harvard and Stanford and all this and that. And when that happens, then how the hell are you going to judge anything? I mean, every school is going to have easier grading. And yeah, and that doesn't help the student in the long run. No, no, it hurts them. It hurts them. By the way, I'm going to tell you something that uh, it gets into this a little bit. Harvard Business School, where I ended up going when I didn't go to law school, they had affirmative action in the '60s, early on when affirmative action first was invented, I believe, in the Nixon administration, and. Harvard Business School implemented an affirmative action plan and then got rid of it. And the reason they got rid of it was they had a quota of how many black students would come. And they discovered they were all failing. Mm. And so they said, what is the point of this? And so they got rid of it. And they may have something there now, but it's not the same. And because they have, unlike any other graduate school, Harvard Business School, has this draconian first-year policy, it's a two-year school, called hitting the screen. And what that is is the bottom 10% of the class, or 850 
people in the in a, in a class, the bottom 10%, 85 people are expelled at the end of the first year. Boom, you're out. And it, they found this is the greatest motivator you can have. You're so afraid. And I, I mean, I was crying. I was so afraid of hitting the screen the first couple months that I wouldn't be able to make it. Well, I found out every single kid there went through the same thing. You're scared to death. You're going to get thrown out. And so it makes your work even harder. And they found that guess who was hitting the screen were these minority candidates. So they've stopped doing it. Stop doing the minority candidates. Uh, and, and by the way, welcome to life. You know, I mean, we can play this race thing in this country forever. But, you know, I think the solution to all this stuff is more money spent on low um, elementary education, younger kids getting educated better at age six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's where you make it or break it. If you get off to a good start in your education, reading, writing, math, self-discipline, all that stuff, then the rest of education's a piece of cake. And we should be doing more at that level, especially for minorities, especially feeding them and taking care of them so that they can do schoolwork. There are real problems in that culture sometimes that don't allow kids to come to school with food in their stomach. How do you study if you haven't you haven't eaten anything? And so, you know, society's got to change its thinking a little bit. Let's worry a little bit less about college and more about early education, especially for poor children, and try to catch them up as best we can and keep them up as they grow up. So, uh, Congressman, I, uh, your your definition of affirmative action as a quota, there are so many different definitions of, definitions of affirmative action. It, it it can get really really confusing. So, uh, there's another definition of affirmative action, which was you give extra uh, support for people going through the application process, and then uh, and then you pick the most qualified. What, what, what is that? What does that mean? Extra well, support it, it, for it, people it, going it, through the application it, process. It, it, it means it, it means, for example. Uh, for example, the SAT scores. Some, some people, usually rich people, get coaching for the SATs, right? Now, I know SATs are, are no longer, be, are no longer relevant, but there is a, right, but they have been, they have been, they have been. And, 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 um, you know, so people who had money got this extensive coaching, how to take the test, how to do this, how to do that. Right. Or people right. who are more, who are more likely a minority didn't get the coaching and guess who's right. better on the tests? Hello. Right. And that, that's what some people view affirmative action as being. You know, as you said, the example that you gave about making sure that folks with lower incomes get, uh, better supports, uh, is, was originally, as I understand it, the definition of affirmative action in the first place. This yeah, idea well, I like that. I tell you something, I hated these SATs. I, I, I wasn't very good at them yep. and I don't believe they prove a damn thing. And yep. you know how I know that? Because when I first did badly, I did get coaching at, at Brooks School in North Andover. They brought a guy in for a few of us who did badly. And in six weeks of tutoring and learning how to do it a couple times a week, I practiced, took the tests again, went up 120 points just yeah, like that. And, that's crazy. And so that is not a test that tests aptitude or intelligence. It's a skill that you can learn how to do. Congressman, I took the SATs myself in my senior year of high school, and I would say 
that maybe 20% of the test material I never learned. Yeah. Well, I, I will, I will tell you one sort of extreme example of this. I had to take the, when I uh, went on to graduate school, uh, I had to take the music, uh, uh, GRE exams, you know, the sort of college level courses. And when I, when I got to the test, uh, site, I was told I'd been given a reader because the test was not available in Braille, but the reader could not read music. And half oh, of the questions God. had music, uh, had music examples. Right. Guess, guess, guess who didn't do well on, on that, on that test? This is the kind you. of stuff. That's an extreme yeah. example, by the way. You know, that, that yeah. doesn't happen all the time, but this is the kind of stuff that people, that's why the tests are being phased out just because of examples like that. You know, yeah. um, so, you know, this, that's weird. So there are a couple other cases. I'm sort of curious to know what your take on the, um, I can't remember the, the case name, but it was a, it was an evangelical Christian who, uh, was fired from the post office because he wanted to go to church on Sundays. And the, uh, the post office said, we can't do that. Uh, we, we can't find a way to help you go to church. And so he was fired. He went, uh, he sued, uh, for religious discrimination. And the Supreme Court essentially said, hey, businesses, you need to do a better job at addressing these, these, these religious issues. Uh, uh, you know, the standard that, it, that once was has now been raised, uh, for the businesses. They have to make more of an effort to, uh, to accommodate, to use the ADA language. Peter, uh, what do you mean when you say help you go to church? Couldn't he have just gone to church? No, the, the issue was, uh, he, he wanted to, he, he wanted to go, he wanted not to work on Sundays. So he could go to church. Oh, right? uh, I didn't say that very well. Okay, and, okay. And, and the post office said, we can't accommodate that. We can't figure out a way to, to make that work so that you can go to church. Therefore, uh, you can't work for us because we can't uh, accommodate your needs and we'll fire you. It's just, you know, to me, I, when I hear this type of thing, I just go, what idiot at the post office said we can't accommodate? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's just, it's just insane. Of course, we're going to accommodate people to go to church. If, 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 if some days the Sabbath in the Christian faith, there are other days that are, you know, for different religions. But I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, there's other, there were other rulings this week. Obviously, the, the, today's the last day of the announcements. Right. There was the one about the, the caterer that didn't want to cater or do whatever for a gay wedding. And they were upheld by the Supreme Court. So the gay world is saying that this is discriminating against them. And I, you know, I guess we don't want to force people to do what they say is against their religion. Um, but I mean, God, it's 2023. I, I hope most people in America are getting over the fact that there are gays in America that I mean, gays in our life and they don't choose to be gay. They're gay. And, you know, we got to all get along with each other. My God, shouldn't be that difficult. So, yeah. And, this- by the way, earlier in the week, let me just mention yeah. one other ruling, because yeah. I thought I was dreading this one for six oh, months. Yeah. This is the one that was originally proposed by John Eastman, who ended up being one of Trump's lawyers for a while in the aftermath of 2020 election and who may very well be heading to jail when it's all over. But he proposed this theory called the independent legislature theory of how elections should be run. And as we know, our elections are run in each state, not by the feds. So, Bob, you're in Massachusetts. You guys run your elections, including for president. And Peter, you're in Missouri. And right. And and the Missouri runs their elections. 
And the only role of the feds is the standard, which is 18 years old, is the voting age. You have to be 18 or over, and you have to be a citizen of the United States. That's it. Anybody can vote if they fill those two things in any state. But the state runs them. Under this independent legislative theory, uh, a state would set the rules for their election. No matter what they said, the state legislature would set the rules. And the state courts would have no jurisdiction to step in and monitor, change, hear objections to. They'd have no role in the elections in that state. And thank God, I mean, if that had happened, what that would mean would be a state legislature basically decides who's going to be winning the electoral votes in that state. There would be no check on the state legislature. None. And the votes of the people wouldn't matter. Yeah. And that this is an insane theory. And the Supreme Court struck it down six to three and killed it. That's not coming back. That's gone. Thank God that this was one of the outcroppings of the 2020 election. And thank God this Supreme Court, after all their other crazy rulings, sometimes they had sense on that one. Congressman, you, you mentioned uh, Mr. Eastman, a, a fine gentleman of, of, of uh, integrity and whatever the words you, I'm being sarcastic, of course. Uh, so, what is your take on what's going on with President Trump? He's he's gone through two and two uh, indictments, and I'm sure there are more coming. How do you explain that most Republicans, as far as I can tell, seem to be still supporting him? He's most likely yeah. to the, the Republican uh, nomination. Uh, yep. uh, how, how do you explain that? Well, I mean, they just dig Trump. You know, those people that like Trump are in the Republican Party now. The Republican Party of a few years ago, those vote, a lot of those voters never liked Trump. And I don't think they're in the party anymore or they're not in the polling that we're reading. They may have left the party or become an independent or maybe even a Democrat. I don't know. And working class uh, workers and voters have moved into the Republican Party because they dig Trump. And so they're really they really believe Trump. Uh, they 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 don't question anything he says or does. And they're wedded to him. And they're probably what 50 ish percent of the GOP. Half of them are totally in, in, in the tank for Trump. The other half are split up among, you know, eight or ten candidates that are running. And thus, the odds are, as of today, Trump will be the nominee. Now, he'll be the nominee, and he'll lose again in the general election because independents and Democrats abhor what he says and does. They can't stand it. And he makes no attempt, he never has, to add on to his voters. Politics is the art of addition. Trump, he, he practices subtraction. Rather than try to win someone over, he says, if you're not for me, I hate you and I'll, I'll blast you and say horrible stuff about you. What, what other politician ever behaved that way? You know, it's crazy. <laughs> why, why do you think the those working class people who support Trump, you know, it's not just they, they support him. They are connected to him in, you know, in, in a very significant way. You know, it's not just I'll vote for the guy. It's I love the guy. Why do you, right. 
Why do you think that's that's the case? Why do you think? I, I think it's chemical, Peter. I think he really communicates with them in a way that others of us look at and go, are these people crazy to go for this or not? They fall for it. You know, and I could give, we've all heard all the arguments against Trump. I mean, I'll tell you the story about the late 80s. Saul Wachler was the top judge in New York State. It's called the Court of Appeals. He was the chief justice. So not only is he sitting in a court, but he's the chief administrator of the New York State court system. The crack epidemic is sweeping the state and the city, and the courts are jammed with arrests and trials of crack dealers and all that. And in the middle of that, there is Donald Trump being sued by more than 3,000 blue-collar workers who he stiffed, plumbers, electricians, bricklayers, and he never paid them. And they sued him. So he had over like 3,000 lawsuits working their way in the New York State courts. So Saul Wachler, as chief judge, you know what he did? He took all those cases. He took a judge. He took a courtroom. He took court staff and made what's called a special part of the court system, all devoted to one thing, cleaning up these Trump cases. That's how widespread Trump stiffing the very people who today are devoted to him. I mean, now they're not the same people. The three, I'm sure the 3,000 people who he stiffed are not voting for him, but they're the same type of people. They're yeah. the working class. Wonderful people of America without whom none of us could get through a day. Yep, it's true. And yet they love a guy that has disdain for them. They don't know that he has disdain for them. They don't believe it. They have created in their mind with the help of Fox and talk radio and Rush Limbaugh before he died, an image and the apprentice, especially they, they've created an image. That's not reality. The image is Donald Trump is on our side and he will take on the establishment that has screwed us and he will fight for us against them. And once you buy into that narrative, then every attack on Trump indeed seems like an attack on you. Yeah. And you could believe that when, in fact, no one's attacking these workers. No one's against them in America. No one. Uh but, you know, that's to answer your question. But politically, it will not work. It will work maybe to get him the nomination of a, a sad to say, a deteriorating political party. That you are, li- you are that, listening. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just going to say it's a political party uh, like talk radio and like Fox, all the same, that are playing to a shrinking audience of white Men mostly and women too, but especially men over 50. That's their audience. That's Trump's base and they deserve to be heard. I'm not denigrating them. I'm one of them. I'm a white guy over 50, but we're becoming a minority in this country. We're going to have to work with other people. We have, and as a party, we got to get other people to vote with us and we're not even trying to do it. You're listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco, and he's Peter Alchel, and our featured guest is former New York Congressman John Le Boutlier. It's time to ask our participants 
if they want to take part in our show to raise their hands and then Ray can tell us at some point who's got their hand raised and then we can call upon that individual to come in and ask a question. Yes, uh, we will start with Musi Allard. I apologize if I have messed up your name, but you are up first. Musi, welcome. Please unmute yourself. I hear something that sounds like, uh, Musi, can you hear us? Can you, can you there hear you me go. now? There you yes. go. <laughs> okay. Uh, a couple of things. I heard that the, the suit against the affirmative action was brought by Asian Americans who feel left out. And, um, they I, feel I discriminated wonder. against at Harvard. That, yep. That's why they brought the lawsuit. And I don't blame them. And I just wonder if MIT and Stanford admit very many, um, you know, chancy students that they don't, you know, are doing it for, um, well, political well, reasons, huh? Uh, well, I, it's a great question. And indeed, this lawsuit that was settled by the court yesterday uh, was brought by Asian students at Harvard who say they were discriminated against. And uh, I talked to a woman today. We both are Harvard graduates, 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. And we both discussed this today. And <laughs> here, here, here was our thought about it, that if you only go by SATs and grades, mm-hmm. Harvard, every student would be an Asian student. Yep. <laughs> no, it's not a joke. It's true. It really is. It is yeah. true. And they don't want only one ethnic type of student. They want mm-hmm. diversity. Nice. And so they therefore have to limit how many of certain types can get in. And hmm. You know, earlier Bob said affirmative action. I called affirmative action and said quotas. Let's face it. I don't care what they say. They have quotas. Mm-hmm. They have quotas for men and for women. They have mm-hmm. quotas for ethnicity, ge- geography, uh, 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 income disparity. They have, they have quotas. These schools have it for all of it. They won't admit it, but mm-hmm. they have to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, my second um, question is about the baker. I mean, I thought money was green. I didn't know it was black, white, gay, or whatever. I mean, how can you make a moral? I mean, you're in business. You're to okay. sell I, I, say, I, I look. I agree with you. But I'm, I, I said this to some guys that I played baseball with a couple weeks ago, and. There were six of them sitting around after a game. Five of them were Catholics and one was Jewish and May, who's a Episcopalian. <laughs> and I said to the Catholics and, and the Jewish guy sided with me too, that all five or six of these guys went, and they're my age. They're in their sixties. When they were raised, their church told them that homosexuality was a sin. Mm-hmm. They've been raised to believe that from the mm-hmm. earliest day of their life. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly they're adults and they're middle age and they're mm-hmm. told, no, it's not a sin. In mm-hmm. fact, you have to treat these people fairly and evenly as anybody else. And mm-hmm. most people do. But there are mm-hmm. some like this baker who don't. They, mm-hmm. they believe it's a sin to be mm-hmm. homosexual and Hey, I mean, you could argue that it is. I'm not saying it, but that's the way various religions have taught it 
and the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, definitely did. The Catholic well, Church frowns on gay marriage. It still, it still, it still does. Yeah. Let me yeah. just say that I know bakers that make pornographic cakes. You know what I mean? That's so, a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> but that's not that's not relevant to this question. The, your know, question was the right question, which is how can a baker, you know, the money from a gay couple mm-hmm. is just as green as a straight couple. Mm-hmm. And I, and, I, and they know that. They know mm-hmm. that, and they also had to probably spend enormous amounts of money on lawyers to bring this lawsuit in the first place, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. unless people gave them money. I don't know. But, you know, the court has ruled. That's that. That's the way it's going to be. If you don't okay. want to serve Thank gays, you. you don't you. have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. But okay. you know what will happen is some other baker will say, screw them. I'm open for everybody. If you're gay, you get half price. Come over here and take the business away from these people. That welcome to capitalism. Right. <laughs> you see, Thank see you the, very much. Happy Fourth of okay. July. Happy Fourth yeah. yeah, I think exactly. I think to be a, a bit snarky for a second, the government. What the the real question about this? We all agree that gay people spend just this money as we do, and they should be served respectfully. The the question is, what should the government's role be when people don't agree with that? That their religion says, I don't feel I don't feel it's relevant to support sinful people. Well, we now know what the role we, is. That's it's right. Decided. It, decided. It, it, it's decided. You're free to not serve people who are gay if you choose not to. Period. That's, right. that's it. That, that's Penny, that's it. Up next. Who's who's next? I'm sorry. Penny. Annie. Penny. Oh, Penny. Penny. Yes. Oh, Penny. Penny. I know who that is. I know. Good afternoon, Penny. Good afternoon. Hang on just a second. Let me make sure I'm unmuted. You are. You are. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, great. We hear you. Well, how are y'all this hot afternoon? We, Doing well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, it's good. It's like almost 100 degrees in Alabama. But anyway. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I just wanted to say a couple of things. One is. I've I, got something to say back to you, Penny, after your question. About the, something in the news in Alabama. So go ahead. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll bring it on. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I am an evangelical Christian, but I'm very disturbed and I have been for the last five years how so many evangelical Christians have embraced Trump as the most wonderful person on earth. And I don't know what it's going to take. For them to see how he truly is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And <laughs> I am just, I am hopeful that somebody like Mike Pence or somebody will take away some of these votes from Trump and that it just really is, gets under my skin. The other thing I wanted to say is I think with this affirmative action, my big fear is that this ruling is going to spill over into the treatment of disabilities. I think and, so too. I think you're and right. That's, that's my comments and I want you to respond and I enjoy hearing you when you come on. Thank you. Thanks. You know, the difference, I don't know about whether the, it'll uh, apply to disabilities there. The difference is I don't think any church has ever taught that being disabled is bad or evil or you know, I mean, no one right. chooses to be disabled. You don't choose to be gay either, by the way. Or black. And, yeah, or any. I mean, we are what we are. And we really, God, when I think of what's happening around the world, other countries and death and wars and all, America ought to 
cut the crap. You know, mm-hmm. let's get with the program on 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 the evangelicals and Trump. Often I sit here and I think of the devil and the devil. I believe there is a devil. There is evil and there is. I believe, I believe right? there is. Yes. Right. And repeatedly in recent history, you can see how the devil invades or evil invades uh, centers of, of power to try to corrupt it. Number one, the Catholic Church with the priest abuse scandal worldwide right. The, right. for a long time the largest religion in the world and they the devil went right in there and rotted that place out rotted it out and it still is rotted out when you think of the abuse of these little boys and little children it's incredible right. and the cover-up of it number two uh the invasion of evangelical christianity a, a, a force for good in this country Good people, the heart of America is is these Christian evangelicals. They're wonderful. And yet they have bought an image of Donald Trump that is 180 degrees opposite of reality. It's amazing to me. I've known Trump personally. Yeah. And, you know, we just have to hope someday this will pass. On Alabama, on Alabama, I was in Birmingham a year and two months ago to do an, uh, two events down there. It was the greatest place ever. And your new Senator, Tommy Tuberville, oh, uh-huh. uh, who voted against the uh, infrastructure bill. And who I can't know, the, stand. And who I can't stand. But anyway, go ahead. Well, all right, so, so, but here, here's what's coming because of him. He uh, has put a hold on all promotions of flag officers in all our military services. He's put a hold. None of them will be promoted. The cases, they're all, hundreds of them are on hold because of him, pending his satisfaction about how the military handles abortion. Okay, so here's what the result for Alabama is going to be. Your state is... In the final competition to be the headquarters for the space command. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I promise you, if this goes on, they'll not, they will not, and there'll be a lot of jobs for Alabama. And it, you know, Alabama yeah. is such a patriotic state, great military background, but they're not going to get it. Alabama will lose this competition because of this senator playing fast and loose with this uh, promotion policy. Yeah. I can't help but ask this question. What does the military have to do with abortion? (laughs) Well, they have a lot to do with it because people in the military want to get an abortion, but they're stationed in an anti-abortion state like Alabama. Does a military hospital in Alabama uh, conduct the abortion or not? Or, or, or can, uh, the, will the military pay for a uh, a trip outside of a uh, pro quote unquote pro life state? Right. To, right. You know, and, and and what Tupperville is saying is no, the military should not pay for such such a medical treatment, and that's what that's what the issue is about. Yeah, that's yep. what the issue is about. Um, so yeah. Well, let me just say this: I live in Birmingham, so the next time 
Going to Birmingham, I think you should look me up. I know all the good oh, places to eat. Thanks. That's so nice. It was the best. I had the best time there and I gave two, two speeches and it was really great. It was about, uh, had nothing to do with politics. It had to do with my great grandmother, Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney and her art and the history of the Vanderbilts and the breakers and all that stuff in Newport. And mm-hmm. it was 99% women who came to this thing and nothing made me happier than being in a room with 200 Alabamian women. It was great. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, Penny. Thanks, Penny. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, Ray, do we have anyone else? Yes, we do. And, and I think we have time for one more after Chris, if there's anyone else, but it, we have about seven minutes left, I think, into the program. Yeah, something like that. Um, so Chris, you are up next. All right. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Um, I am, as you were talking about the evangelical Christians and all the, the confusion, uh, the confusion that goes along with, uh, what you, what to do and how to do it and how to waver back and forth. Uh, Mike Pence, uh, I, re- I remember during the January 6th, uh, insurrection, um obviously Mike Pence had to have known that he was being really, you know, they were chanting, they were chanting, yeah, sure. hang Mike Pence and everything. And yet he still is this passive person who just doesn't take a stand. What is that about? That's not in the Bible. That's not, that's not as far as I know. Christian, yeah, we, we take a stand. Well, you know, let me, let me say this. Uh, I got, I've had a lot of thoughts over the years about Mike Pence and mm-hmm. my initial feeling about him has never changed. And it goes back to the mid 2000s when he's a congressman. He hasn't even been governor of Indiana yet, let alone mm-hmm. vice president. Mm-hmm. Member of the house. We've invaded Iraq. Uh, you know, it's not going great, but it's all right. When he and John McCain take a trip over there to Baghdad to tout how well things are going, right? And you may remember this. And he and John McCain go to an outdoor market in the middle of Baghdad to buy things at the market with the press there interviewing them. And they're each wearing, and get this, they're each wearing Trump, I mean, uh, excuse me, Pence and McCain are both wearing bulletproof vests, there are Marines all around them to protect them, and there's a helicopter gunship overhead to protect them. And with all that going on, they got a press corps there, and they asked Mike Pence, well, what do you think of the war here in Iraq? He said, oh, it's going great. Uh, I feel as safe here today in this market in Baghdad as I do in the summer at the Indiana State Fair. And when I heard that, I said, this guy is so full of bull. You don't go to the Indiana State Fair with a helicopter gunship and Marines and you're wearing a bulletproof vest. This was a PR stunt to say that things are going well when they weren't going well. And that's Mike Pence. And here we are 15 years later, whatever. And the guy is all over the map. One minute, he's a sycophant to Trump. Uh, Next minute, he's testifying in the grand jury, telling the truth about what Trump did to him. 
but he doesn't have the gonads out publicly to do what he should have done right after January 6th, which he should have come out and told the American people what Trump did to him, what Trump threatened to do to him in private. He should have told us the truth. And by the way, he'd have been a much better presidential candidate if he had drawn the line and run against Trump on that alone and said, Trump, you tried to kill me. You tried to corrupt me. I stood up to you and wouldn't do it. And I'll be goddamned if you're ever going to be near the White House again. If he, as the vice president, said that to his president, he'd be a compelling figure. Yeah. But he hasn't done that. He's been all over the map. He praises Trump. He sides with Trump when the Mar-a-Lago court-ordered search happened. He, he, there, he, Mike Pence is going nowhere. And it's, you know, he wasted himself. He gets to the point where he's starting to be a little bit compelling, and you think maybe there's something yeah, there, yeah, and yeah. it's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, he was invited. He was invited by the January 6th committee to testify. Remember, and he refused it, and he said, "Congress." This is a quote: "Congress is not entitled to my testimony." Unquote. Now, I don't know what that means. First of all, Congress Mm -hmm. is us. They're the people of America. And he worked for us. We paid his salary, his housing. We paid everything. And he owes us that testimony. He didn't give it to us. But had he done it, he would have gotten a primetime slot on national TV. Can you imagine a former vice president coming in there at 8 o'clock at night on national TV and bearing all about what he saw and what Trump did to him. If he had done that, yeah, the MAGA people wouldn't like him, but everybody else would like him. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do it. Didn't have the guts to do it. Mm-mm. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. We have time for one more, about th- two more minutes, uh, Ray, if there's anybody raising their hand. There. Oh, um, nope. nope. Okay, Congressman, I want in the last 90 seconds, can you talk about what's going on in Russia with the, with the Wagner group uh, essentially oh, talk about um, in, in, in insurrection? I'm sorry, Ray. Penny, your hand is raised. Did you have a question or something? Yes. Okay. I just want to know if you think Trump will get in, will what will happen with his indictment. I was curious about that and I forgot to ask. Well, I think there are going to be several more indictments in the next few months, uh, weeks or months. I mean, we're going to probably get one in Georgia. We're definitely going to get one in D.C. on January 6th. That would be four. And there are reports today of a superseding indictment in Florida, even more stuff against Trump, and maybe one in New Jersey for dissemination. So he's going to have four or five trials. You, you tell me, how does someone really run for president? With four or five criminal trials running simultaneously. I mean, I, I think no one's really focused up on this. You can't do it. It's, it's almost impossible. Almost impossible. It's physically, emotionally, financially, and politically impossible. And we're going to reach a breaking point later this year where something's going to break, you know, where Absolutely. it's not going to work. I wish we had more time to talk about it, but we appreciate your time for this past hour, Congressman. We're going to have you back. And I'll make that arrangement with you very, very soon. Thank you for appearing today. We appreciate it as always. Thank and you, guys. It's been you, my pleasure. 
and thank, thank you, you all so, so much, for. Peter. Thank you, Ray, Bob. Thank you all. Thanks all our callers and people listening. It was so fun for Roll me. Roll Tide. Very Roll good. Tide. Roll Tide. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Uh, Thank you all. Next next week, we're going to feature another author, E.L. Roth, talking about her book. That should be a lot of fun. Go safe with God's abundant blessings and have a great week, everybody. Happy 4th, folks.